Doug. Morning, JR. It's always good to be with you. Seriously, man. I feel like it's so nice that we get a chance to work together again. I love it. The fall, <laughs> here it is. Oh. Love that the fall is back. Oh. September's great. October's great. Some of my favorite months. Me so, too. Yeah. In the midst of that, though, I mean, when you when you walked in this morning, you mentioned, man, there's been some good things, some hard things. So anyway, I just wondered, as you talk a little bit about this, you use the phrase consolation and desolation. Yes. Some of us may be familiar with that. Unpack that a little bit, and then how has that worked its way into your bloodstream as a pastor here just in the last few weeks? Yeah, so um, I think I mentioned this on a previous show, but one of the things that's happened since we've started Monday Morning Pastor is I, 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 I'm receiving spiritual direction again. And my, my spiritual director mentioned to me the importance of uh, creating silence. And he handed me a sheet with, uh, or emailed me a sheet with the prayer of examine. And it was a prayer that was, uh, it's a style of prayer that helps us to understand what it is to see God in the good things. So consolation and where God is present or where you feel like he's not present in the tough things, the desolation. And so as a pastor, I feel like so much of what we do lives on that roller coaster of consolation and desolation, right? I mean, great. You know, you come back from vacation, you've had a great week of hanging out with your family. And the first thing that you are aware of is uh, a gentleman who's been in and out of jail, part of your church for several years, died of a drug overdose. And you just feel like crushed in that moment, um, or you just feel despair or whatever, but recognize that Christ is present in that, and that that emotion uh-huh. uh, is not, uh, it's, it's not the, it's not the thing that I need to, to, to just run after, but I have to pay attention. I have to attend to that emotion. Like what, you know, Lord, I just feel a lot of, I just feel really sad in that. What's happening there? Um, you know, where are you trying to meet me in that? And so, and then you might have another day where, uh, you know, your, your wife finds out that she gets a job and you're super excited. And it's like, there's in the course Mm. of 12 hours, you've gone from this place of feeling pretty bummed to this place of feeling overjoyed. And, and you probably, I mean, I feel like for me, sometimes I feel like I'm an insane person because Uh. that's kind of the way pastoral ministry can tend to work as you and I both know, um, (laughs) But I think so you had vacation, yes. consolation, yes. Then hearing hard news about yes. the death of someone we know, yes. And then your wife gets a job. I mean, yes. within twelve hours, like that's that's roller coaster right. level. So how do you make sure you don't get motion sickness mm. on this roller coaster emotionally and spiritually as a pastor? Yeah, I I think I believed that there were certain emotions that were off limits huh. to the Lord and to me. And so to actually come before the Lord in, in silence in the morning to, uh, to be with him and to just say, Lord, I'm just feeling heartbroken over this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the hardest part too is uh, I found, so we had a conversation, uh, the gentleman who passed away the day before he overdosed. And then I was supposed to meet with him the day after I got back from vacation and someone emailed me and told me that he passed away. Mm. Um, but just to sit there with the Lord in that and to just pay attention, like, what are those feelings that are coming up? Um, Willard says, uh, emotions make terrible masters, um, and, uh, and, and good teachers. And so the idea of recognizing how, how is this emotion teaching me or pointing me into what, what God might want to say to that. So for me, that's been, it's one of those things that I just know that if I don't cultivate that the emotions will just stew underneath and they won't have any place to go. And if, if those are the spaces where I just sense God wants to meet me the most. in, and, mm-hmm. and I think too, as someone who has a very limited emotional language, I don't know, mm-hmm. uh, there's probably others that think, you know, I, I can, I know anger and happy and sad and that's about it. Mm-hmm. But even to name things like just feeling discouraged, um, feeling overjoyed, but to get pictures of that. And so um, I think what's been really helpful is in that, in those hard desolation moments or those places where I feel really like either God's absent or I'm draw- withdrawing from people or people are being absent to me, that I'm reminded in all the consolations that I've stored up that, no, God is still faithful. He's still good. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that comes back to just some very simple affirmations. Um, you know, I have three affirmations that I say every morning, God is good. He's for me and life is difficult. Mm. And I feel like those three things in itself as I enter into a space of connecting with Christ. Wow, that's great. Give give those yeah. again. God is good. He's for us and life is difficult. Mm. 
And so just to be reminded of those. Uh, and when we read scripture, that's what we see yeah. uh, over and over again. It seem so, to be held in tension. Like you need all of those, not not like conflict tension, rubber band tension. Right, right absolutely. Sort of pulling against each other, which is good, yeah. And I know this is sort of a heavy way to start a podcast, but it's important, right? Because some of us mm. may be Monday morning feeling really heavy right now. Right. Um, but that idea of consolation and desolation is really good language that I think that we can really give to, to those of us who are listening here to say, wherever you're feeling consolation. And I think when we hear consolation, sometimes we think the consolation, the consolation prize. prize. Wah, wah, yes, second place Second prize. place, <laughs> first loser, you know. But consolation in this traditional sense is actually a very good thing. Absolutely. It is a, a, a gift, a prize, something life-giving to us. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, what desolates our soul. I think those are really good things to be thinking about. So and, that's awesome. And I think what's really interesting about it is when we spend time asking the Spirit to show us those spaces where God is at work and to, to experience those really, those encouraging places. I'm amazed with the things that I think he's going to show up in are not even the things that were really the most important to what he wanted to show. Yeah, me that's that. great. That's and, great. And that's been, I mean, he's like rewired things for me in the last few months that has just been super encouraging and even, but just recognizing that when things are really tough, Christ is present. He's mm. not taking a smoke break. Uh, mm. He's not turning around and walking away because he's frustrated with you, but he's he's with you in that. He's, I can't remember who said it, but he's sitting in the puddle mm. with you. Yeah, that's yeah. great. What that's, a great image. So I know this is some of the heavy stuff, but I, I got to give some consolation here. Uh, our love of Babylon B. Yes. I sent you one the other day. <laughs> yes, you did. That, oh man, I that I'm just still laughing about it as I think about it. And so we got to leave on a consolation we do, we before do. we get to our to our we interview do. here this morning. But um, so the, the headline was this on BabylonB.com. Again, we've talked about this in season one. Babylon B, uh, so great, uh, almost like a Christian Onion site. And, uh, <laughs> and the headline was. <laughs> I can't even get it out. Fundamentalist Christian family takes trip to see Hoover Darn. <laughs> Hoover Darn. The rest of my life, I'm just going to call it the Hoover Darn. The Hoover Darn. <laughs> yeah, because they were, you know, studying the Tower of Babel. <laughs> So anyway, we just needed to laugh after some so good. some of the heavier stuff that so good. the desolation we need consolation, right? That's yes. why we can have tears in our eyes and a smile on our face at the same time, right? I we mean, see it in the Psalms all yes, the time, right? Yeah. I mean, goodness gracious. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how about Paul being chained to a jailer while he's writing his letter of joy to the Philippians, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's that's consolation desolation. That's consolation desolation. Uh, right there. So mm. but uh anyway, well, uh we're looking forward to our interview, but uh, just make sure from now on you call it the Hoover Darn. The Hoover Darn. <laughs> Today's guest is our friend, Reverend Michael Beck. Michael and I have had the privilege of serving together with an organization called Fresh Expressions US, which we'll get into during this conversation. He is the South Atlantic Coordinator for Fresh Expressions US and also the North Central District Cultivator of Fresh Expressions for the Florida Conference within the United Methodist Church. Uh, Michael serves as a pastor of Wildwood United Methodist Church in Central Florida, where he directs addiction recovery programs, a jail ministry, a food pantry, a network of Fresh Expressions that meets in places like tattoo parlors and burrito joints and dog parks. He currently lives in Wildwood with his wife, Jill, and their blended family of eight children, We're grateful to have him on the show, and we're going to go a lot of different directions. Enjoy this conversation with our friend, Michael Beck. Well, welcome, Michael. It's good to have you here on the podcast. We're so glad you could join us. I'm assuming you are in sunny Florida right now. Yes, yes, and I'm honored to be with you guys this morning. So, well, thanks for for uh, be, for being on with us. We, um, you know, Michael, you and I have you know been all over the country. We've actually been to Canada together through an organization called Fresh Expressions, which we may get into here in a little bit. But um, I, one of the things I love about you, Michael, is your you have such an incredible story of of a lot of pain that God has redeemed. And so, I think it's important. Would you just share for us your own story? And your upbringing, and then how you ended up from your upbringing to now being a Methodist pastor. Sure. So I was um, born in Gainesville, Florida, the the capital of the um, United States uh, in SEC football. 
um, I was a, a born gator and I was also born addicted. So my mom was a drug addict and she is a precious, fearfully, wonderfully made um, person in the image of God, but she also struggled with addiction and prostitution her whole life. Um, so she wasn't able to care for me and I was adopted by my grandparents and they took me to this little Methodist church when I was growing up. Um, they died when I was young, but I, I had these formative years at the church. Um, I was the acolyte, um, pastor Vaughn, who was kind of a mentor to me. My grandpa died when I was 10 and, uh, he kind of took me under his wing and said, Michael, you have the most important job in the church. You bring the flame of God into the house of God and you bring that out. And so I would every Sunday kind of go up with Pastor Vaughn, sit on the preacher's bench while he, and take a nap while he would preach and, you know, just carry the flame in and out. But then I also was a street kid. So the other six days of the week, um, I was running and running with my friends, breaking the law, starting to get drunk and high really early, um, starting to have children really early. Um, and that all led, obviously, to juvenile detention and then jails and those kind of things. But when I was 10 years old, Pastor Vaughn said, hey, Michael, you're going to be a pastor one day. And that was that was really not on my radar at that time. But um, he really did love on me and introduce me to Jesus. So when my life did completely train wreck and I had nowhere else to go, literally, I went back to that that little church where I grew up and um, went back home. And how did you go then? Uh, that's an amazing story. Keep going. How did you go then from, from there to like, not only are you a pastor, you're also in the doctoral program uh, now at Portland Seminary, which is also where Doug's at. So that's kind of cool to have, have uh, you all uh, there at the same seminary. But uh, keep going. How did that happen then, you know, after Pastor Vaughn's influence on your life? How did that lean you to be into being a pastor? Sure. So I went back and there was another pastor there at this time, Pastor Dan Jones. And I told him kind of what happened. I, I had this incredible encounter with Jesus and like literally met Jesus um, and was terrified and and also just felt this comfort and this presence and this love. And so I went back and told all of that to Pastor Dan. And he said, well, I'm glad that um, Jesus has saved your soul, but AA will save your ass. <laughs> so I want you to meet me at the noon meeting tomorrow and I'm going to show you how to do life sober. And so I started doing that and been doing that ever since for 11 years, over 11 years now. And um, he was like, hey, if you marry that girl that you're with, I'll let you preach. And uh, <laughs> so he caught and I was obviously I love my wife. I was getting ready to, to marry her. But so um, he I had some experience in ministry earlier in my life. And so I kind of felt like I'd blown it. There was no way I would ever have that opportunity again. I betrayed God. I did all these horrible things. But he he gave me a chance back in ministry, started letting me preach, teach. Um, I, I created a service called CPR, Christ Powered Recovery, which was a church for people who didn't go to church in the recovery yeah. community. And we would just get a bunch of drug addicts and alcoholics together. We'd share our stories. We'd talk about Jesus. And then we would go to like, um, I guess you would call secular meetings. No meetings really secular, but uh, anonymous fellowships we would all participate in. And that little service grew to like um, 150 people. And there was only probably 50 people that would come to the church on Sunday mornings. And so then I just entered into the process as a United Methodist elder I was sent to my first church. There were about 12 people there. So my wife and I doubled the congregation our first Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Uh, and again, just kind of to the church was in a very rural place called La Clusa, Florida. There's no post office, no Walmart, no anything. So we just started this little thing at the diner nearby which today I would call a fresh expression of church. I didn't have that language then, but with the, the Diane, the diners, um, Diane's diner waitresses and such. And we just, they were our persons of peace who connected us to the community. I've kind of just done that everywhere. Went through the process, got ordained as an elder, um, got a master divinity degree and all that good stuff. And now I'm with Lynn sweet at Portland, finishing up my, um, uh, doctorate in semiotics and future studies. 
I mean, just that thought of like, here you are, you, you grow up in a, in a really difficult situation. And, you know, within a couple of years, you're going to be the Reverend Dr. Michael Beck and you're helping with fresh expressions around the country. I mean, what a redeeming story God has. And, you know, talk a little bit about fresh expressions. I mean, we, I know we could talk for an hour on that. I mean, you and I literally talk all day at vision days around the country and in Canada on this, but this is going to be an impossible task. Give people that don't know what fresh expressions is the two minute sampler platter of what it is. And then I want you to talk a little bit about some of the fresh expression type ministry that you're doing at Wildwood at your, in your congregations. But, but start out, what is a fresh expression uh, for someone who may not be aware of that? Yeah. So it is a form of church for people that don't go to church. Started over in the UK, kind of jumped over to the United States. In 2004, they produced the Mission Shaped Church Report. They're kind of observing the Holy Spirit was doing things outside the church with people where they do life, new kind of emerging forms of church. Uh, And then they started to try to put language around that and process. And so that's jumped over to the U.S., Part of actually, I think what sustains me, I've, I've been at the same church now for eight years. And there was another situation at Wildwood UMC where we came and there were 30 people and it was a closure kind of situation. And there, my DS said, you know, three options, close it, revitalize it, or merge it with a, with a nearby kind of mega church. Um, and that was kind of where we were. So it, it's just forming community with people that that don't go to church, finding ways to connect around practices um, where people are gathering together uh, in these kind of shared practices, for example, like yoga, tattooing, hanging in at a favorite restaurant, um, running 5Ks, whatever that might be, and just organically forming relationships with people and and following those Holy Spirit nudges of, hey, you know, next week, can we maybe pray together or Next week, how about, you know, I'll bring a little passage from the Bible to talk about if anyone wants to stay after or whatever. Mm. And so a church just kind of emerges. And the goal is not to get people back to your Sunday morning building experience, but to just kind of form organic churches with people where they are. Your stories, Michael, I just love when you tell them when we're together. So share some of those. I mean, talk about the tattoo parlor. Talk about dog parks. Talk about Moe's. Just just riff a little bit on some of those stories and where God is meeting people in North Central Florida through some of these fresh expressions out of your church in Wildwood. Sure. So by process of failure, um, um, somebody wrote a good book about that, like the sacrament <laughs> of failure, right? Um, but I started these things a lot on my own in the beginning. So Moe's Southwest Girl, that's a fresh expression we've had going for almost eight years now, but connected with the manager, Adrian. Uh, started talking about Star Wars, um, asked him at some point if we could just kind of come in and have a little church in there. And we'd built up relationship for probably six months before I asked that question. But he was like, yes, absolutely. So we started this thing with like probably six people. We pretty much fill the restaurant now with folks and we study scripture. We have communion in there. Um, Some of the staff come over and take communion with us, bring their prayer requests. We oftentimes have people that are just coming in to have a burrito or some all-you-can-eat chips and salsa and end up, you know, connecting with us and joining with us. And that's their church, literally. So about a year into that, somebody said, hey, um, this is church, right? So let's, shouldn't we take a collection, like give? And so we dumped out the chips and salsa basket. We passed that around as part of the experience for those that can give. They, they can if they want to. So that's one fresh expression. We had this guy. Mojo, who was coming tattoo artist and, you know, fresh evangelist, just kind of bringing people to the church all the time, excited about Jesus. And uh, he had this connection with the tattoo parlor owner, Brian. And um, so we started, a, we planted a, cultivated a church in the tattoo parlor, Fat Cats, Ocala. Uh, same kind of thing. We just kind of go in, study scripture. People go back, get faith-based symbols. We have communion. We we pray, we have a sermonic conversation. There's not like a somebody stands up and tells us what the Bible means time, but we'll take a couple verses of scripture and we'll just say, hey, how does this hit you? What do you think about it? We'll ask questions around it. Um, and then, uh, so a good example of like, uh, this is a 78-year-old pioneer named Larry, who 
he was like, as this started to really kind of flourish in our church and everybody was like, I think I kind of have to do something to be a part of this church. Um, and so Larry was like, well, I'm boring pastor. I don't really do anything. I watch Miami Hurricanes football, which in our state is really bad choice in football. <laughs> um, and I take my dog Rocky to the dog park. So Larry takes his dog every week to the dog park, Rocky, big labradoodle dog. Uh, same people, they connect, they gather in the space. Uh, and we have two little pugs, Vader uh, and Ferdinand. And so we're like, Larry, you go to the same place every week and you connect with these people. What if that could become a form of church? So Larry just got really fired up and he's so serious. Like he studies the Bible all week so he could do his little, you know, 10 minute kind of conversation. And the dogs run around and play and the kids play. And we just kind of circle up, have like a little worship experience out there in the dog park. Mm. So those are just a couple to kind of get you thinking about what can happen. And the interesting thing is this wasn't the intention, but as we started doing this, people started matriculating back to the inherited church. So we actually had to create a service for them because they would come to our traditional service and not come back. So we, we created this thing called New Life, which is more like a fresh expression. It happens on a church campus, but it's very informal. You have breakfast. It's like a breakfast church kind of format. Hmm. Kids are running around breaking stuff and we have dance <laughs> breaks and social media moments and all that stuff. So that's actually become our, our most attended service in our church. It's called New Life. Um, and it's young families. And so we're constantly like, we did some baptisms last Sunday. We're going to do some more this Sunday. Our community's a poverty stricken community. So a lot of, uh, drug addiction, a lot of systemic oppression. And, uh, it's a community that has a history of segregation and racism. So we've actually partnered with this black church in the Pentecostal stream, God's glory. We now share ministry and we share our campus and we're kind of becoming one church. So it's re this really cool thing that's happened by doing these little emerging forms of church that kind of spilled back in and changed the, the traditional church too. That's really, it's, I feel like it's so encouraging. And, and so my question though, thinking about all that, like how do you stay healthy and fresh in the midst of having all these different things that are, that are moving and going? Like what, what are the practices that you are um, using or jumping into just to continue to, to stay soft before the Lord? Good. Yeah. Um, so I realized, uh, JR helped me realize that I was probably addicted to, um, my phone and social media because the first thing I'd wake up in the morning, grab my, my iPhone. Right. So I got my Bible and my big book on my night table. That's the first thing that I do. And I spend just significant time of prayer, uh, in meditation and in the scriptures for myself every day. Um, try to take Sabbath every, every week, a day a week. My wife and I have a date night. And then we have a family day on Saturdays where we just take the kids places and we play uh, and we try not to think about work, which is hard because my wife's also my co-pastor and we tend to, our congregations go to the church a lot. So we have to kind of be mindful of that. Um, and I think one of the, the greatest sustaining practices for me is I, I am not necessarily, uh, I don't have a whole lot of skills for the inherited church, just to be honest with you. I'm, I'm not probably the best. Uh, manager and and really even uh, shepherd, I guess would would not be one of my high gifts. I like to be with hurting people, and I like to be you know a healing instrument in that. Uh, but there's a lot I'm just not good at. So we're in a complete shared and dispersed um, priesthood of all believer thing. We have five people on our preaching team. I preach once a month. Um, I, we have people that lead our our care shepherd teams. We have people that lead um of everything. So it's a completely shared ministry at Wildwood. Um, you could come and you could meet a bunch of people that we call pastor and, and it's not about me. Uh, it's completely the the people are just have been released and free to operate in their gifts. Um, so I think that's partly, you know, what keeps me healthy is, and I'm really just there kind of encouraging and, and pushing people along and, and helping them 
as they're really leading and figuring things out. With that, I mean, when's the last time you feel like you faced some discouragement to the point of, man, am I, should I, should I think about getting out of this? Um, or yeah. And, and what, what did that look like? What, what caused that season? I mean, there's a constant kind of, um, just stress of, um, the inherited church and folks really just cannot, they're just operating in a different mental model, um, that, that they just can't really get a lot of what we're doing. So that's frustrating sometimes and, and navigating in, in between that. I think the last time I, that I really was like, I think I'm just going to go get a real job was um, I had a pretty significant case of burnout, got sick, had to go to the hospital, all of that, which is what helped me kind of back off and move into this kind of a shared leadership approach. But there, there is the consistent, I mean, my big thing, probably the day-to-day struggle is just in my denomination and the the um the constant distraction the constant division over all these things that are happening in the united methodist church um which really keeps us from focusing on the mission um and and distracts all these amazing things that god is doing and we're so busy infighting and and not collaborating as clergy as leaders um, we're in the scarcity mentality where we're afraid our sheep are going to get stolen if we work together in any way and that kind of thing. So that's really the day-to-day tension, I think, more so now at this point in my ministry. Um, and I've been at the same church for eight years, so that's kind of unusual for Methodists. We're usually we're itinerant, so we get moved around. But uh, I have no plan of going anywhere, and I pray about it every year, and God says, I got you right where I want you. And so, yeah. I don't know if I answered your question or not. But. Yeah, Michael, you also, I, I know that you eat very healthily and you work out regularly. So tell us about health and why that's important for you physically and the impact that might have on you spiritually and even on your role as a as a pastor. Sure, that's good. Um, I'm definitely into fitness and eating right. And I believe that, you know, Jesus says we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, our body, our physicality, our men, our mental life, our spiritual life. So I, I see that as all this integrated thing. So I'm pretty, pretty intense about that. And also, I think probably the key that a lot of pastors don't have, and this has been such a, just a life-giving thing to me, is recovery fellowships. Like I can go into a meeting and say, life sucks today. I actually wanted to punch somebody in the face. <laughs> And every <laughs> and everybody in the room is like, yeah, me too. So we're 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 all you know we we use these slogans like we're just bums on the bus. We're, we're all you know equals in the struggle to stay clean and sober. So uh, the the physical stuff, the eating stuff, trying to not get caught up in like um, you know overeating, and that that can be a stress reliever in ministry. And I've done that at times. And then just the recovery fellowships, being able to kind of share what's really going on in my soul with people that that get it. Those recovery fellowships, I know you've spoken on that a lot. And yeah, several years ago, I went to an AA meeting just to observe, and it was so eye-opening. This is probably 20 years ago. And I thought, man, this place, I, the church can learn so much from AA. <laughs> and, uh, and many have said that since, but that was so eye-opening for me 20 years ago. Um yeah, and in many ways, it sounds like what you've learned in the recovery community and your background, you're now using that for health and basically saying, we want to have an AA meeting where Jesus is the central figure in this AA meeting. <laughs> is that fair to say that you're using a lot of, of recovery language and recovery posture as you think about church moving forward? Absolutely. I think probably one of the greatest places where I experience church, to your point, is more so in Alcoholics Anonymous meetings than a lot of things that get called church Mm -hmm. today. Uh, And there's this authenticity and the spirits working and moving and transforming people's lives. So we, we can't, there's rules around what we do in AA meetings. So I'll say things like, you know, when my higher power was walking around on this mud ball, he said, Hey, we should live our life one day at a time or, you know, things like that. But we've created these kind of things alongside those meetings. Um, So like, 
for instance, one of our big NA meetings happens right alongside our Taste of Grace kind of community dinner. Um, so if you want to stay for the you know community dinner, come on over. We have this thing called Higher Power Hour, which if you want to explore different spiritual practices like yoga, prayer, um, maybe reading the Bible, something like that. These are things that are offered. Uh, and we kind of have meetings every day so at, at our church. So we're able to, people that do want to take a next step and explore a higher power kind of um, relationship, those things are there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, if I could use the word success, right? You come in, your family doubles the size of your church. And now you've got, you know, you're flourishing in many areas and, and now becoming a beacon and a lighthouse and a model and an example to many churches around the country. Um which is awesome. But also we talked about discouragement and wanting to quit. What would you want to say to the pastor who is discouraged, hopeless, and maybe even thinking about quitting this week? Yeah, that's um, something that I still, you know, have that thought once in a while. And it's, it's just the fragility of what we have. Like this thing at Wildwood could die any day. Mm-hmm. We're just like one offering away from not being there because the great thing about all these new Christians is, yay, baptisms and new Christians. The bad thing is most of them don't have money uh, and it takes time to disciple people and get them to the place where they want to give and tithe and they understand all those dynamics of generosity and such. So it is the, the building that we have is like an anchor around our neck. It's, you know, we're a congregation that was planted in 1881. Our facilities are run down. Uh, we have all of this this overhead that's connected with that. There are days when I think if I just could go and just not have this building and all the responsibilities with it, then you know things would be a lot easier in ministry. So those are the things that the financial, the consistent stress of we don't know we're going to be able to pay everybody this month. Those kind of things do wear on you over time. So what would you say to people who might be feeling what you're feeling? How would you want to encourage them or speak truth to them or remind them of something that is easily forgotten? Um, Well, we walk by faith, not by sight. And God's been faithful. We haven't had to close our church yet. And this has been happening for eight years, you know, so um, he shows up and, and that's part of this whole journey is we just got to trust him. And, um, it's not easy sometimes, but I guess if it was, then, then we would probably not be doing something right. Tell us a little bit about your tattoos. I mean, people who are listening can't see your tattoos. Um, I've seen them. In fact, when we were together in Canada uh, a couple months ago, you had just gotten your part of your, your sleeve of your arm done. But describe not just some of your tattoos, but what does that do in terms of conversation? You're an apostle, but you're an evangelist. So I can only imagine you're getting into spiritual conversations with people about your tattoos. So just briefly talk about what are they, why do you have them, and how are they sort of a bridge to talking to people about Jesus? Sure. So part of Tattoo Parlor Church, the sermon time, is we actually share about our tattoos. So everybody in the community, these tattoos are sacramental. They're an outward expression of an inward grace, and they're part of people's stories and their formation. So my tattoos are obviously spiritual in nature. Some of them are cover-ups. Um from my, my previous life. And so on my left arm, I have a Jesus sleeve that starts with um, this iconography, um, mostly Eastern Orthodox iconography that goes from um, the, ba- the uh, baptism of Jesus, the incarnation, the birth, all the way up to the resurrection, ascension. And under my arm now is the, um, the resurrection and a little scene from the new creation. Uh, and then on my right hand, uh, I have my friend John Wesley, the itinerant horse riding uh, preacher, um, and and some Greek uh, words like apostolos and archagos. But so consistently, people ask me about these, like, what does that mean? And and also, I mean, um, there's an astonishing number of millennials that have tattoos. I think it's more have them than don't or something. But so that's just an automatic conversation and connection point to talk about that. 
Uh, it gives me an opportunity to share my faith. Probably my go-to is, yes, yeah, some of these are cover-ups from my previous life and da-da-da. And then I get to kind of share where I was before I met Jesus mm-hmm. and then how Jesus brought me out of that and what, how, what that means to me today. Mm-hmm. So it's a powerful evangelism tool. And that's what we, we encourage our people to get them in noticeable places, like not under your shirt and such, so that they do become conversation starters for our faith. We have about 40 plus wild ones that have the United Methodist cross and flame some, in some noticeable place on their body um, to, to really try to talk to people about their faith. I I don't think I've ever heard of a pastor who uh, encourages people to get tattoos. I love that. <laughs> Didn't you get your district superintendent to get uh, to get one recently? Did I see that on Facebook? No, that was a joke. Oh, it was a joke. <laughs> oh, I fell for it. I was like, wow, the DS, he convinced his DS to get it on his hand. That's amazing. It was a joke. All right. All right. You got it was me, close, man. close, but I have had everything from bishops to district superintendents uh, in the tattoo parlor with us. Oh, wow. And, and they talk about it's one of the coolest worship experiences they've ever been in, but they're not going to get a tattoo. Even if we started like a GoFundMe page for them or something, I mean, <laughs> maybe we could pull some resources. That's, I, I think they're pretty much, yeah, they're set on it. I've been working on my DS for a long time and she's. <laughs> oh man. So just, uh, just a couple, couple more questions just as we're kind of wrapping up here, but I just wondered, t- talk to us a bit about the. Um, the impact that ministries had on your family and just ways in which you cultivate healthy time and space. I know you mentioned Sabbath on or a family day on, on a Saturday and you and your wife having time and space together, but what, what do some of those look like? Yeah. Um, so my kids, all of them are pretty adamant that they're never going to go into ministry. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, even though I keep working on them about that, but um you know, they, they have gifts and they, they lead in their own ways. They study scripture and pray. We have this thing called family chapel that we do once, sometimes twice a week where everybody just gets to check in and share what's going on in their life and talk about how their relationship with God is going. Um, our family days are not that they're just fun. We just connect. Um, we're fortunately in the sunshine state, we have this thing called Disney world. Um, so we do a lot of waiting in lines and that gives me an opportunity to just talk and check in with them and see how they're doing. I'm just dad to them. They don't want to, you know, they don't want me to be their pastor and they don't want me to, you know, they don't like to have that conversation, but they do have people in their life that they are going to and having those conversations, their youth pastors and such. Um, so yeah, I mean, my goal is just to spend time with my kids and I know that time is the fertilizer of good relationships and my proclivity, this is again through failure, um, I, I'm actually can much easily, uh, much uh, easier, I'll jump into work mm-hmm. rather than just having quality time with my kids. So that's something that I've had to, the Lord really had convicted me of and I had to work hard on it. It's not something that comes easy because I'm also, I had no parents growing up. So for me, um, I'm working from no models and um, basically intuitively just trying to do the best that I can with my kids. And there's a lot of them. There's like eight. So there are eight or like eight. I couldn't there quite tell. Eight. They're about eight. You kind of forget after a few that how many you have. That's right. I'm I like, feel like you, after four, you would yeah. get over here. You, that one. <laughs> What's your name? But five of them have survived into adulthood and they're doing good. Two are in college. One's uh, managing a, a little restaurant. Uh, one, two are nurses and one's in a nursing program. So they survived successfully our parenting and we just have three at home. So we call that a success. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, Michael, we just love you. And one of the things that Doug and I like to say a lot is um, that we're about creating good kingdom mischief. And so when we think about you, you're just one who kicks up good kingdom mischief mischief dust everywhere. And uh, so we're just really grateful that you're uh, a kingdom renegade and you're kicking up good mischief. So we just want to affirm that in you and say, keep it up. We And, and you love to tell people about Jesus. That's just a passion of yours, it comes out, and uh, even in your tattoos, which I love. So we just want to say, keep going, Michael. We're so grateful for you and your ministry and even your story. I've heard it many times, but your story each time reminds me of God's redemptive 
role and his grace, and no one is outside of the reach of God's grace. And you live it. You don't just speak it. You live it. So we're grateful for you, and thanks for being on. We really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Wow, what a conversation with Michael. What, what was running through your head well, uh, as you're hearing that, Doug? I, it, it was one of those things. I feel like I've heard a lot about him from you and from some others over the past few, like past few months more so and probably the last year or so. But I was just so impressed with um, just the way that he passionately speaks about thinking about church from different perspectives. And for me, that's just so encouraging. I feel like we continue to hear stories of how church is terrible and like everybody hates it and, you know, pastors are leaving in droves, but I feel like I can point people to Michael and say, here's a guy that has, that has just continued to trust the Lord in these ways. And it was mm. so encouraging. Um, yeah. How about you? I mean, you've known him for a while. And so I know some of these things are probably you've heard a few times, but what things stuck out to you, JR? Yeah, and I, I have heard a lot of the stories, as I mentioned, but I'm so grateful for Michael. And each time, as I said, I just am reminded, you know, I look at him and I'm like, man, this guy, who would have ever thought at eight, nine, 10 years old, or even when he was a teenager selling drugs, you know, he talks about like, you know, like weighing, weighing drugs out on a scale mm. and then going out at night and selling them. So one of the stories that he didn't tell, but I've heard him tell many times before, is uh, like drug dealers in the community he has such weight with them because he's like, I've been there. I know you, I, I know your life. And many of them have like really had their hearts softened over the years in this neighborhood. Mm. It's just an unbelievable, I mean, just he has weight and clout because he's like, I was you mm. and you don't have to be you. You can be a new creation. So, so that was great. But I, I think his idea of family chapel, I, I don't know if I've ever heard that from him, mm. but that idea of pulling the family together um, and for a guy who, like he said, who has no models, um, but to, to do that very intentionally to say, yeah, we're going to come together. How are we doing? Check in spiritually. How are things? I guess when you have eight kids, I mean, you have a chapel <laughs> service, I mean, at dinner. You yeah, know? that's a straight up church. So, <laughs> I mean, goodness gracious. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, yeah. And, and his, his emphasis on health. Um, mm. I've, I've seen him on Facebook pictures, like rollerblading with the shirt off, you know, and I'm like, man, that's a, that's a guy who's fit. I mean, it's not showing off like his muscles, but like, man, that's a guy who's fit, who takes mm -hmm. care of his body and is healthy. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I was just encouraged as someone that comes from such unhealth, right? Just drug addiction, um, being addicted when he was born, addicted, and then helping others become addicted to unhealthy things to now being so careful about what he puts in his body. It's just fascinating. It really, and fascinating. Even, even thinking about the words from that pastor as he was a 10-year-old, I mean, mm. you know, words yeah. have so much weight. And even just as I, I know you and I have a, a young man in our church who who has been charged with, he just turned uh, 13 and he was charged with finding men in the church to hang out with and to yeah. spend time with and to ask oh, questions man. about what that looks like. But even just realizing that's just another affirmation of, man, to have... To have adults speak words of life into our this next generation is so, so, so important. Yeah. And maybe that's one of the challenges is to say, for those of us who are pastors and kingdom leaders, you know, who, first of all, who was it that looked at you and said, you're a leader mm. the first time? And mm. then say, who are the people? I think we've even mentioned this before, but who are the, the young leaders who may not even know they're leaders yet yeah. that you can look at and say, you're a leader? I mean, I just think of Pastor Vaughn in... Michael's life, who looked at him and said, one day you'll be a pastor. And what, what that did to his imagination and his vision for his mm -hmm. future, and here he is today helping other pastors and leaders around the country and North America. So I just, yeah, that, that sticks with me. Who are, who are my two or three people that I can look at and say, you're a leader. You can make an impact, not just 20 years from now, but even right now. Mm. So that that sticks with me to think I, I got to challenge myself to be aware, to have my radar up yes, and imagine what that would look like in 20 or 30 years to have somebody say, I am who I am today because I had a Doug or I had a JR look at me and say, you're a leader. And I'd never thought about that before. That's, that's, I, I Again, I think that's one of the things that I've noticed as I've re read the epistles over the summer and thought through the book of Acts a bit more on a ground level is just how Paul was always looking for that. Mm. There just seems to be this way of him 
finding those men and women that he could feed into and encourage and call out those leadership, those Holy Spirit leadership qualities in folks. I think the other thing that maybe be a good challenge is um, if you're listening, you should go get a tattoo and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and not and a visible t- tattoo. Yes. Like you said, not not one your shirt can can hide. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes. I'm like, oh man, that's so. I just can't imagine telling my church, hey, I think it's time for you guys to get some more tattoos. But I think we, I, I'm just going to take that as a challenge. We should, I should, I should do that. I feel convicted by that now. <laughs> oh, that's great. All the grandmothers listening in are just going, no, these unChristian, unspiritual people. But thinking, there's probably a lot of older grandmothers that are listening to this podcast. So I think we're safe, but, yeah. um, I but, also, I also wonder too, he, he talked about how some of the discouragement really comes with just from a, some of the denominational pressure. Mm-hmm. Of, and I, I don't think it's just in the, in, in the denomination that he's part of, but just in general, I think sometimes it can be really difficult for us who are, for pastors who are part of denominations where they just feel like just the pressure of, of, you know, watching the numbers decline and wondering what's going to happen next or noticing tension over different issues and just how, I don't think I really thought through how much tension and pressure that actually puts on pastors, but I just was appreciative that he named that. Mm, yeah. Um, I think that's an important thing for us, even just as we talk to other pastors, like, how are you doing with that? You know, what mm. does it look like to trust God and not to be whisked away in the, in the tides and of despair and frustration. Yeah. Yep. No, that's good. The other thing, um, yeah, just thinking about, well, let's talk about questions. Let's talk about some questions and some resources that we can, we can leave our listeners here. I think some of the questions that I think there are, you know, physically, what is one thing that I can do this week that would be just one step forward towards greater physical health? You know, it may not be radically changing your diet or whatever, but what are, what is one thing you can do one small step that might move the health meter a little bit more on a physical side of things uh, comes to mind, number one. Um, number two, you know, you may not have tattoos, but is there something tangible, physical, some symbol, maybe a necklace, a bracelet you wear, you know, uh, whatever maybe. I'm not talking cheesy, you know, types of bracelets that we can go out and order online. But, but is there something that we can do or embody that might be a symbol that would be available and easy on-ramp or bridge to talk to people about Jesus? Again, maybe not a tattoo, but some other things. So that, that comes to mind uh, as, uh, as just a couple of questions. Yeah, what about you? I think uh, one of the things that he mentioned was uh, grabbing for the phone first thing in the morning and now grabbing for the scripture and prayer. Um, and so even just wondering too, maybe a question is, um, you know, what would it look like to, to, to utilize the phone less or not at all in the morning and give Christ your first fruits of the day, you know, that first, first time period. So maybe, maybe the question there would be, you know, what would it look like to not pick up the phone first thing in the morning and to give the Lord attention? Yeah. Yeah. The, a book that I, that I read, um, by Justin early, um, and uh, it's about the rule of life. I'm forgetting the title right off the top of my head. Isn't it called the com- uh, the the common rule? The common, the rule. common rule. Yeah. And uh, in it, he has a great little mantra, and it's three words, and it's stuck with him. And I think of it several times a week. And he says he lives by this mantra: Scripture before phone. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I, I, we may have even mentioned that in season one, but that has stuck with me. It continues to stick with me. Um, to just say your phone's not bad, but what if I made the challenge that I wasn't going to touch my phone or open my email or social media or whatever uh, until I've been in scripture. And uh, it's been great. I mean, sometimes I should even, yeah, there are a lot of other things, not just scripture I should right. do before I grab for my phone, right. but scripture before phone has really stuck with me. And it sounds like Michael's embodying that too, which is, which is just wonderful. So um, as far as resources, um, you know, uh, as I said, Michael and I have a chance to, for the last several years to work with an organization called Fresh Expressions. It's a global organization, but here in the U.S., uh, the website is just freshexpressionsus.org. And uh, so we have an opportunity to do it. There's lots of resources on there. Some of them are free, some, um, some books and downloads as well that you can purchase. And Michael has written a book. We'll put this in the show notes called Deep Roots, Wild Branches. And, uh, and so that's, that's a book that we'd recommend if you want to know a little bit more about Michael and what he's doing. Again, freshexpressionsus.org. We're not, again, trying to do a, a, some sort of infomercial or, or some sort of plug, but that is a lot of where Michael is investing his time, uh, not just locally, but 
on a regional national level right now that I think can be uh, really helpful. So check out the website, check out his book, Deep Roots, Wild Branches um, by Michael Beck, uh, along with some other resources as well. Any other resources or thoughts that you have just in terms of uh, leaving listeners with anything before we go? Uh, well, I was just thinking for for those of us that may want to grow in maybe a physical practice, mm. um, just in terms of setting aside maybe uh, a couple half hours throughout the week, uh, even Great. putting that into your work schedule to say, Great. just to start, you know, what does it look like for me to actually love God with my strength? Um, but to make that a priority, even just for the next month, uh, what would it look like if you added two or three times a week, uh, whether it was during the work schedule or even outside of it, but ca calling that holy work and not just something that I should do, but something that I get to do. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, great to be with you all on this episode of the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. And uh, we're grateful for you. We always love to hear from you. So let us know on social media, shoot us an email. Uh, we'd love to, to know more, even other topics or potential speakers that you think that we should interview. Um, we would love to hear from you here in season two. We're super excited to be here in the fall here for season two. But just remember today as you go that because the tomb is empty, the pressure is off doesn't mean you don't work hard, but you can work hard out of out of love and not out of fear. And I think of Henry Nouwen who said, we have a choice to live in the house of fear or the house of love. And so our challenge to you as we end this podcast is that you would move your stuff out of the house of fear. You load it into U-Haul and you drive over to the house of love because that is a much better and more freeing place to live. So go in peace. Blessings. Blessings.